This week on Retronauts. Resident Evil. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Retronauts. I am your host, Bob Mackey, and I've got a little bit of the G-Virus in me right now. And uh, my, my, my green herb today is uh, Double Shot Espresso. So, yes, I'm a little sick. But, uh, I see your hand shaking. I know. Just like, so you're, really, you're, really, you're really loading up on it. Oh, God, well, I need, I need to just vibrate home. Uh, who, who else is here today? Oh, are you pointing at me? Oh, hi, I'm Jeremy Parrish. Hello. Hello. And, Jeremy, we all know who you are. You're, you're one of the Retronauts partners in crime. Uh, but who is our special guest today? Uh, I'm a member of Stars, Dave Rudden. <laughs> I thought you were a member of Laser Time. No, that's true. I'm also a part of that. Okay, you can He's do the both. The star things. of Laser Time, <laughs> the stars of Laser Time. <laughs> so, Dave, uh, today's topic is Resident Evil. But uh, before we start, Dave, are there any res- wrestling references we need to get out of the way first? Oh, if you know boy. Dave Rudden, he has his own wrestling podcast, and he yeah. likes wrestling a lot. I want to make sure we get these out of the way, just in case we miss them. Yes, I so do, I do host the cheap podcast on the Laser Time Network, but can't think of any re- Resident Evil. Okay, this could be yeah. uh, this could be one of the few Capcom games without wrestling references. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, yeah, today's episode is all about Resident Evil. Um, I think we did one of these in the past when I was at Retronauts with 1UP, but it was kind of like a scattershot thing, just a reaction to uh, the Resident Evil 6 trailer, if you can imagine, you know, that that period of history. But I decided, like, we're going to revisit the series today, talk about the first three games, their influences, try to do a deep dive on these very interesting and very important games that have uh, maybe not aged as well as we would want them to. So, um to start off, I, I did want to talk about the influences for Resident Evil, and uh, I, I'm curious if you guys know about any of this stuff. So what really uh, – Resident Evil is kind of a mix of two uh, games that already existed. One of those is Sweet Home, a 1989 Capcom Famicom game uh, based on a movie that had been released at the time, a horror movie. Uh, it's I don't a, know if I'd call Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> I kind of like uh, – what's her face? Have you been to Alabama? Oh, wait. Uh, uh, Reese been, Witherspoon, through, right? Yes, Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> yes, uh, through. Different movie. Uh, yeah, you're, you're trapped in Reese Witherspoon's house. You have to escape. <laughs> uh, no, that oh, – so, okay, indie gamer. make Some indie group needs to make that. But no, Sweet Home was this ambitious uh, action adventure slash RPG where you explore mansion and you swap between five different characters, each with different abilities. And this really formed like one so of how, the – how is that different than Maniac Mansion? Yeah. Maniac Mansion does not have turn-based battles. Mm, Um, It should. Yes, I I told that would be awesome. But actually, Jeremy, when I was doing research on uh, Sweet Home, I I was thinking a lot about Maniac Mansion. I mean, I'm always thinking about Maniac Mansion. But yes, I mean, you go into a mansion, you're swapping between characters, you're you're solving puzzles with items. It is very Maniac Mansion-y, except that... um, well, I guess in Maniac Mansions, your characters can die, but in this game, they usually die through, like, battles, like RPG yeah. battles. It looks really interesting. It's kind of cumbersome with only a two-button controller. I've never played it. Have either of you guys ever heard of or played this game? It does sort of come up a lot when we talk about Resident Evil. Yeah, I've only heard it in Resident Evil conversations. but I've, never, I've absolutely yeah. heard of it, but I have zero interest in Resident Evil-type mm, games. So. I see. So Jeremy starting I'm this, here. <laughs> Jeremy, I, I think it's important to have a uh, maybe somebody who is not as knowledgeable about the game just to ask mm. questions. So I'm, I'm happy to be the idiot in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to be the idiot in the room. So, um, bar for Resident Evil, we have uh, very, some very, very essential things for Resident Evil that we see in uh, Sweet Home. We have 
limited inventory space, which would be a mainstay, a very annoying mainstay in Resident Evil up until the more recent ones. Uh, we also have the the famous door opening animations where um, in Resident Evil, they were really more meant for uh, to mask loading times. Mm-hmm. But in uh, they also add to the atmosphere and just like giving you a little bit of a period of dread to uh, like, oh, what's going to be around this next corner? So, yes, those were in this Famicom game that did not need loading times. And we also have uh, different endings depending on who survives, which would be something important in the first Resident Evil game. Um, we have a narrative told by notes and diaries left behind, and we have safe rooms for storing items. So those are some very important, very Resident Evil-y, uh, like, just ideas that would surface again um, six years later with Resident Evil. So uh, you guys have never played this in any way, I guess? I, I've always wanted to, and I think I maybe played 10 minutes of it, but it is fully fan-translated. I believe I talk a bit about it on our fan-translation episode from, uh, I believe, 2013. So go out and play it if you can find it. It's easy to find, by the way. So uh, the other the other major influence on this game is obviously Alone in the Dark. Um does this ring a bell for you guys, Alone in the Dark, outside yeah. of uh, the bad Uva Bull movie? <laughs> uh, and uh, the kind of uh, – I heard it was a like mediocre reboot they did in uh, late aughts, Alone in the Dark. Late aughts. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently – I played the original Alone in the Dark on Macintosh before I ever heard of Resident Evil. So mm. uh, I played a little of it and said, meh, it doesn't do much for me. The horror just doesn't really appeal to me that much. I tried playing Dark Seed also. And that game didn't do much for me, even Dark though it was H.R. Oh, Giger's art. Mm. The, those the those games, game. I mean, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That I don't think <laughs> the Dark Seed games are very good. And no, I agree. <laughs> especially Dark Seed 2, uh, kind of funny. But um, Alone in the Dark, Jeremy, uh, th- this is even just as convoluted, just as cumbersome, just as like adventure gamey as Resident Evil, but a huge step down in graphics because it came out three years earlier. Sorry, right. four yeah, years but it earlier. Was, it was a big step up in graphics at the time. Because oh, for it sure, had, yeah. Like, you know, 3D characters, polygonal models, and everything like that. That was really, um, I mean, it was it was pretty cool looking at the time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was a very ambitious game, and, and obviously very influential. Um, it's it's it hasn't aged very well. Uh, I would watch a let's play of it. It's very mm-hmm. fascinating to watch these games because you're sent you you would watch this and say, I'm glad I'm not doing this, <laughs> but I can at least experience it. Yeah, I do remember seeing like previews for it was probably Alone in the Dark two after I'd played Resident Evil, and these previews said like Alone in the Dark is like the uh, the, the it's what started the the you know the three D survival horror uh, idea, but when I went to play it, it's like this is too cumbersome and like I'm just not quite into the story. So yeah, um, if yeah, you go into um, if you, if you want to go back to Alone in the Dark thinking it's going to be real like Resident Evil, it's really not. I mean, combat is even less of something you do in this game. Um, you're really just running away from things and solving puzzles. And when, when you have to do combat, it's hilarious. You're just a middle-aged person, like, kicking at a zombie or firing one of the few weapons you have. Um, but some important things that came from this game that ended up in Resident Evil, we have environments with static camera angles and polygonal characters. Uh, I believe originally Alone in the Dark was supposed to uh, – the backgrounds were supposed to be – uh, real photographs ah. of a real place, but um, they didn't look quite right when those those papercraft characters were skating around on <laughs> them. So they eventually went with a more um, a more video gamey appearance for the background levels. They look a little like sketchy or painterly or whatever. Uh, and we also have the use of camera angles to obscure enemies, uh, which is another big thing. Uh, that is kind of like one of the hallmarks of horror in in cinema: just hiding things from the audience mm-hmm. and shocking them when that thing finally emerges. And we also have uh, from Alone in the Dark, we have a male and a female playable character. But in this case, uh, the difference is purely cosmetic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
again, uh, Sweet Home might have aged a little better than Alone in the Dark. They're both worth revisiting at least through a Let's Play format. And um, it's both. It's really interesting to see just how much Resident Evil depends on these two games, but it still kind of does its own thing in a way. Before I get into Resident Evil, I do want to talk about the people who made the game, at least uh, the first three games. That's what we're focusing on for this uh, episode of Retronauts. And we first have Shinji Mikami. You probably heard his name. Born 1965. He directed Resident Evil 1, the remake of Resident Evil 1 for the GameCube, and Resident Evil 4. And I think um, based on playing his games, most of them by this point, I feel like pulling the rug out from under players is what, his, his, like, what he likes to do best. Do you guys have a lot of familiarity with the Shinji Mikami games? I mean, he's done more than just Resident Evil. Uh, only Goof Troop, really. Oh, Goof Troop, <laughs> yes. The, the surprise was Goof Troop is actually a sequel to a Japanese game you've never heard of. Really? Yeah. Wow. Sweet Home? It's a secret to Pirate Ship Higamaru, oh, uh, yeah. that arcade game. It's I like, have heard of that. Yeah, it's, a, it's like the same idea, but with chubby pirates and stuff. Hmm. Um, uh, Dave, how about you? What's your experience with uh, Shinji Mikami? Um, well, based on your list, I, d- I did play a lot of the Super Nintendo Aladdin, and I'm one of those people that is steadfast in that it's the better mm. uh, the better game. And we actually did a side-by-side uh, Let's Play on Laser Time's YouTube page, and um, I don't know. It, it it it's just a, like a more straightforward game, and it's not as like you can get lost in the Genesis version. Did, did people... uh, but anywho, like yeah, I, I I just I really I don't know. I was really into the Super Nintendo a lot, and it just felt like a really streamlined platformer that just worked really well. I was too, and not just because I'm a Nintendo fanboy. We can <laughs> we can have a sidebar yeah. about this because uh, we're only talking about three games today. But I feel like. Um, the Genesis Aladdin is cut from the same template as like five other games that yeah. Virgin Interactive made. It's just they're just putting in different assets, and they all they all feel the same. They all have the same level of design, and some of them are better than others. I like Cool Spot more than I do Aladdin, but mm-hmm. I do feel that the SNES Aladdin does hold up as a better experience. The, it doesn't look as good, but I feel like it's a better game. I don't know, Jeremy. Do you have any controversial opinions hmm. while we're tackling this issue? In you know, the middle I of our never Evil I episode? never played the Aladdin games, but I would love to get Jazz Rignall to be on here and talk about I think he would have a, bi- a European bias <laughs> well no Jazz worked at Virgin Interactive mm, he worked on okay. I know he worked on Lion King I think he did Jungle Book as well or uh, he so. was there for Jungle Book yeah, yeah so he he might have some insights into you know kind of the thinking and philosophy behind those games mm. yeah uh, so in case you're getting lost here Shinji Mikami did direct uh, Aladdin for the SNES he directed uh, Goof Troop for the SNES uh, he started at Capcom in 1990 with a Game Boy quiz game called Hatena. <laughs> no Daiboken. I don't know what that means. I'm sure it means something important, but uh, it's I weird. Think it means Hatena's Big Adventure. Okay. Uh, for some reason, it's a quiz game for the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. I think it's a quiz game about Capcom games. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about uh, Hideki Kamiya, who started on a Ghouls and Ghosts uh, spinoff of an Incredible Machine spinoff. Wow. Uh, in this case, Shinji Mikami worked on a, a, like another lesser thing for Capcom, a quiz game. But he soon rose to the ranks. His next game would be uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit for the Game Boy, which, based on uh, the video I watch, it looks like the only good or tolerable Roger Rabbit game. It's like an overhead Zelda-style thing. Have, have either of you played this game? It looks it looks kind of interesting. I, I've never touched it before. The Roger Rabbit game, no. Jeremy will I probably just, cover it at some point. I just know it can't possibly be worse than the NES. Oh, no, no. Game. Nothing can be worse <laughs> than that uh, that horrible war crime known as uh, <laughs> Rareware's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> 
so yeah, and then uh, it's weird that uh, Mikami rolled right from all this Disney stuff right into Resident Evil. Yeah. Uh, he was essentially given uh, a premise to work with, like we want to make a haunted house game. Uh, and obviously, Night of the Living Dead was an inspiration for Mikami, uh, but he later cites the idea came from wanting to make a better zombie movie than the movie Zombie, which uh, we know as Dawn of the Dead. Now, there is some weird controversy here uh, that I've generated in my own mind, but there are there are all these conflicting <laughs> interviews I've read uh, where it's like, um, see, Mikami cites Dawn of the Dead as an inspiration, mm-hmm. but in, in Italy, Dawn of the Dead is known as Zombie. Uh, there was this trend in Italy where it's like, we'll we'll bring your movie over and then make unlicensed sequels based on it. So I think Mikami didn't like Zombie 2, the movie in which a zombie fights a shark. I, I think that's the one who did that disappointed Man, what's not to like about that? I know, but it's like, I, I think he did like Dawn of the that, Dead. So, that is a um, rich premise. I, I'm going off a GamePro interview from 1996. <laughs> I, I don't know if they were doing all their fact-checking back then, if anyone expected them to. There was no real internet. So let's just say he was inspired by Romero, and this game takes a lot of cues from that. Um, we're going to go over all the games. I did want to talk about who else is involved in these games. Um, if you want to learn about Hideki Kamiya, we did talk about him on the Devil May Cry episode. Please listen to that. Uh, an update, he has still blocked me on Twitter. That has not changed. <laughs> and I will never get to read his tweets again unless I log in with another account. So uh, I'm still putting the message out there, uh, Platinum guys. Please unblock me. I'm a nice guy and I, and I like your games. I think if I think if someone actually tweets Kamiya to say, "Hey, could you unblock this other person?" He usually does. So I, I actually uh, messaged someone at Platinum Games, and they laughed at me. <laughs> and it was one of their uh, like uh, expat employees. So uh, I, I think he's pretty firm on the blocking policy, uh, Kamiya. So listen, guys, you got them blocked. Let my policy on Kamiya: not even once. <laughs> don't don't tweet at him. Not even once. Yeah, I did get Kamiya. Um, so uh, we have another guy, uh, Kazuhiro Oyama. I just included him because he directed Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, which has an interesting story, and we'll get to that soon. Uh, he has not been credited on a game since 2003's Dino Crisis 3, which no one remembers, and I'm guessing he ascended to Management Heaven, which is usually what happens. I feel like if someone is still making games, and they, they've been making games for 20 years, they really care, at least in Japan. I don't know. Do you agree with me, Jeremy? I think so, yeah. I mean, not just in Japan, but really anyone— Do we have Management Heaven here? We do. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't sure. Um, you know, I just uh, I just interviewed Dave Dave Brevik, who uh, created Diablo, and he left. Uh, I want to say Turbine because he was like the CEO, and he just wanted to make video games. So now he has a company that is him hmm. making a video game by himself. That's always nice to see. And yeah, like yeah. You, you, you in in any in any company in any pastime, I think job vocation. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, if you are good at it and you keep rising through the ranks, eventually you will rise so far that you stop being able to do what you were good at. Yeah, that's true. It's sad too. And also, I making, say this as an editor in chief: <laughs> <laughs> making video games is really hard, and I don't blame anyone for wanting to be like, "No, I want to push papers around all day." I'm kind of done with this. So yeah, that's uh, Kazuhiro Ayama. We'll talk about his game soon. Uh, before we move on to the actual games, I do want to talk about scrapped ideas because Resident Evil 1 went through a lot of strange uh, transformations. Not as many as 4 would go through, but um, they initially toyed with making RE1 a Doom-like game from the first-person perspective. And I can't imagine how much that would make you throw up <laughs> on a PlayStation, just like polygonal zombies and 1996-level <laughs> knowledge of the hardware. Eventually, there would be a first-person shooter RE game on the PlayStation. That's Gun Survivor. Uh, did not ship with the gun here because of Columbine, but... Mm-hmm. I don't think they could have pulled this off in 96. Uh, no. What do you guys think? I, it just seems like a crazy idea to me. I don't think it's that crazy. Um, before before Halo and before Marathon, which came before Halo, 
uh, Bungie created a game called Pathways into Darkness, which was half first-person shooter, half adventure game. Mm. And it was, you know, it was an FPS, and you were descending into a pyramid, and it was very, like, uh, limited inventory, limited resources, limited time. Uh, it was a very stressful and dark and eerie game. Um, and, you know, it, it was kind of chunky in the way that 1993, 1994-era first-person shooters were. But the it's, it's an interesting idea, and I'd love to see them revisit it. But I, mm. I agree that an FPS Resident Evil in 1996 would have been such a terrible idea. I think yeah. they could have pulled it off, but it would not be as well-remembered. It would not have the same effect, I think, as what happened with Resident Evil. And um, I don't know that I've ever played or wanted to play a first-person shooter on PS1. I played some <laughs> N64 FPSs, but Saturn and PS1 just like, ah, no, I'd... No, those those systems just weren't right for it. Can't it can't even display yeah. like a floor or a wall without it look like, <laughs> looking like a waterbed, yeah, you know? Oh, so, God, oh. yeah. Though that year on the PS1, I was super into Disruptor. I was thinking of that game, yeah. yeah that was an original game, I think, for yeah. the PS1, yeah. Yes, yeah, Insomniac's first game, I believe. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah okay. Awesome, awesome pull, Dave. So uh, if you're listening to this, you should know who the Resident Evil 1 characters are. But uh, there are two characters who were scrapped from this. Uh, the game originally had a more of a sci-fi futuristic bent until they brought in a scenario writer who actually knew what a story was and <laughs> wanted to change it to match with the tone of the horror that they wanted to bring about. Uh, the two uh, scrapped characters were Dewey, a, a wisecracking black character based on Eddie Murphy. I'm kind of glad they got rid of him because he probably would have died because that's what happens to black guys in horror yeah, movies. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have been handled very yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have Geyser, a cyborg with a cybernetic eye. And so uh, I, th- I believe they, they turned into Barry and Rebecca, the characters but that which we... one's which? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess probably the cyborg. Yeah, they melted him down into Barry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and uh, some other some other things they dropped for, for Resident Evil, uh, I, b- I believe these were on display at E3 at some point. There was a real-time weapon system where you can change in real time to different weapons without going to your menu. Oh, been handy. Oh, for sure, yeah. And uh, and a co-op mode. So, geez, this is a much different idea at first. And we have the unfortunate name Resident Evil, which didn't really make sense after Mm -hmm. the first game happened, right? I mean, it is like one of those things that's a little too clever for its own good. I think it fits the first game so perfectly. But now when you go onto Steam, it'll say Resident Evil slash Biohazard. Like, they understand Resident Evil is only for Americans, and everyone else knows the game as Biohazard. Yeah, I don't even know why they changed the name from Biohazard. Not that that necessarily makes more sense. I mean, it's about... I guess you'd have the viruses and stuff, but it never really struck me as being like, you know health scare. It was always much more zombies. I mean, it is about a virus. A better name. I yeah. wonder yeah. I wonder why they they changed that. There's never been an official reason, I don't think. There were other things with the name Biohazard in America, like the punk band, I believe Biohazard. That oh, was you know what? Name. There was a uh, Genesis game called Biohazard Battle. Biohazard mm-hmm. Battle. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can trademark a term that's so generic and um No, but I I think um I think they probably would have had leverage to say, no, you're causing confusion. Like, if you have two things that are unrelated, then then a trademark doesn't really overlap. Mm. So, like... So you could not... Re- <laughs> Apple Computer um, got into trouble initially with Apple Records, who published The Beatles. And they said, well, we don't do music, so it's fine. And the court said, yeah, it's cool. You can't do any music stuff, but you can use the name Apple. So then when Apple got into doing iTunes and iPod, Apple Records was like, uh, guys. <laughs> so I think they had to settle out of court for a lot of money. Wow. So, but no one was buying Biohazard and putting it in their PlayStation like, this is an awful punk this album. Is, this is not Biohazard Battle. What's this is a this PlayStation sham? disc. <laughs> How avant-garde. Okay, so, I mean... It's weird to see this criticism of the game at the time because I feel like 
these these criticisms developed after release. But um, before release, Capcom's Yoshiki Okamoto had some harsh words for Mikami. And Yoshiki Okamoto, I believe, is a creator of Ghouls and Ghosts. Uh, that's um, Tokuro Fujiwara. Oh, uh, who is uh, Okamoto? Okamoto. 1942-1943. You're right. He's, he's a Capcom old-timer. And his words, uh, I don't like to curse that much on the show, but he told Mikami, don't you dare put Capcom's name on shit like this. <laughs> uh, right before the game released, I guess this guy was kept in the dark or working on something else. And um, Is this around the time that Fox Hunt came out from Capcom? <laughs> I mean, like, can you talk? Can you? Yeah, I, thought, really. I thought the Fox Hunt was Konami. Uh, I'm almost positive it's Capcom. Maybe Dave can look that up on, yeah, the, yeah, on the wiki. It is Capcom. Wow, yeah. Wow. Maybe that was just like the, the, the Western side of the company doing their own thing. Or <laughs> Oh, no. I was thinking Project Horned Owl. Never mind. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Why, why must I remember these things? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, uh, it was it was said in an interview that Mikami gave that uh, Okamoto had reservations about all the stuff that we remember about this game that maybe we don't like. The limited saves, the bad controls, etc. All of these things that make up uh, survival horror. Okamoto was like, what is this? This is unplayable. <laughs> I hope this not does not ruin our company because what have you done, good lord? What have you done? <laughs> so yeah, let's move on and actually talk about these games. flying around the forest zone situated in northwest Raccoon City where we're searching for the helicopter of our compatriots Bravo team who disappeared during the middle Chris, of our mission. You found it? No, I haven't found it yet. Bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in Raccoon City. There are outlandish reports of families being attacked by a group of about 10 people. Victims were apparently eaten. Bravo team went to the hideout of the group and disappeared. So the first game, uh, known as Resident Evil, that released on March 22nd, 1996 in Japan, and just a week later in the United States. Wow. And yeah, we were coming up on, the, I mean, uh, we, we, I think we passed the 20th anniversary by the time this episode comes out, that's why I'm doing it. But uh, it's interesting to see at this time, we're starting to see the Japanese and American releases get much closer to each other. And yeah. they would be almost day and day with each other for a bit uh, with the series. So... Again, uh, this is a very unique Resident Evil game. I think the other games would change much. They would change greatly after this, uh, especially in terms of just presentation. So, this game opens with a bang. Uh, it is a live-action cutscene that really establishes the tone. I mean. I realize they're not working with any money, but um, I, I, I was always, like, blown away by this intro. I don't know about you, Dave. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Jeremy. It's this great live-action intro. It is incredibly <laughs> cheesy when they're introducing the characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think you're straining at the definition of the word great there. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I mean, I can appreciate what they did with the money they had and the talent they had. It just – it really does a good job of setting up that Romero movie – uh, you know, Night of Living Dead style uh, atmosphere. Uh, Dave, what do you think about these live action live action actors? Uh, maybe actor could be putting it a little too uh, Very generous. I, I mean, compared to the voice acting that's in the game, yeah. the, that intro sequence is like Oscar worthy. That's true. And um, Jeremy, I, I could be just comparing this to what you hear afterwards. Oh, yeah. Why this is like. Godfather 2 and uh, I mean if you want to compare it to something like Night Trap or Phantasmagoria sure yeah 
That's because they don't have the actors say much. Yeah. And I think they knew that. Uh, so, yeah. And um, we have, for the first and only time in this series, live action actors. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they would do the voices forever in the series, but we only see pe- real people in this game. And I kind of miss that. I kind of miss yeah. that in... Uh, in these games, but I mean, they were just playing with full motion videos. Everyone I mean, was. It really was a great introduction. Like you see a bunch of people in the intro, and then you get like this kind of—it's almost like a sitcom thing. But it's like yeah. Barry Burton, and it's Jill like, Valentine, and you see like a quick is little it like, like a freeze frame. Kind of. It's like they're just standing in a room, and like uh, like Rebecca just gives like a little smile, and it's like yeah, she'll oh, like, I, I've she'll gotten their to the camera headband. exactly. Yeah. I've gotten their personality in like three seconds. That's good because in the game they really don't have personalities, no. but uh, yeah, everyone has like a cool little move. Uh, Chris is smoking, but they censor that out of the American version even in the director's <laughs> cut because smoking is bad kids oh yeah the director's cut where they were going to uncensor everything and then actually yeah. did and it never happened we'll get to that soon but uh, yeah so uh, again like in Alone in the Dark we have a two character system it lets you play as either Chris uh, am I forgetting his name it's not Redfield Redfield yeah. thank you god Jeremy knows it <laughs> or, I know all about Resident <laughs> Evil canon I just don't like <laughs> the games okay or Jill Valentine uh, by the way I am sick so my brain is not functioning as it should um, uh, so Chris's route is the more difficult route and Jill's is the easier route. Uh, Chris can take more hits, but he has less inventory space, and he starts with a lighter. Uh, and actually, that's established by the opening that's censored, where he's lighting a cigarette, yeah. uh, which is cool. It's like just part of the world. Uh, Jill can take fewer hits, but she has more uh, room to carry items, and she has the all-important lockpick. She yeah. is the master so of not, locking. Yes. Yeah. So not only does Chris not have that uh, that lockpick, he has to pick up these tiny little keys throughout the mansion. That's right. To and open little drawers that <laughs> might have like F8 spray. And and one and one tiny key takes up as much space as a bazooka, right? It makes no sense. Yeah. I mean I think I think maybe by part three you would just get a keychain. I think in part three there's like literally a keychain to solve that problem because it di- didn't make any sense. But yeah, um so and also the character you choose um determines who your partner character is. So with um Chris you have uh, Rebecca who goes on to start Resident Evil Zero and with uh, Jill, you have Barry, who went on to star in Resident Evil Revelations 2. Which, so super long gap. Yeah. Kind of weird. And uh, the story plays out. Uh, there is a twist in it. Uh, it. It totally got me. I feel kind of stupid for it getting me because mm-hmm. it's like, hmm, the the uh, smirking blonde character with sunglasses. <laughs> I, actually, did he have sunglasses this early? I don't remember. Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. Of course he's the evil character. But <laughs> you play Was as, he wearing his sunglasses at night? Uh, I think he was wearing them yes. inside the mansion. Yeah. At yeah. night. Yeah, at night. <laughs> Damn. Indoors at night. That's the coolest way Is to wear sunglasses. Itagaki? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he has a darker secret than Itagaki. <laughs> Whoa, that's uh, pretty yes. dark. Uh, so you play a special squad sent in to find out what happened to the Stars Bravo team. You are the Alpha team. Uh, the big twist is uh, Albert Wesker. He's secretly an agent of the Nefarious Umbrella Organization and intentionally is leading you to the mansion to get you killed. And I believe uh, – I couldn't find it. I literally was searching the script of the game. Is there something in this, Dave, about like he wants to get battle data for the for the creatures, like how they fight actual humans or something I like think, that? I mean he is – I don't know. But like at the end, he well, he wants – he makes you go fight the tyrant. That's right. So I, yeah. like I, I, I guess that – yeah, he probably Oh, man. Is. Ex Machina totally ripped off yeah. that entire <laughs> thing. Yes, and uh, – I guess uh, Wesker would eventually become more British and hence more evil yeah. over time. Like, he just became British when he came back. Okay, I mean, that I works. I can't remember if it works out the same way at the end of Chris's storyline. But with Jill, you also – there's, like, the double uh, whammy that also Barry is working with Wesker because he's being blackmailed or he's – Yeah, I think Wesker is, is holding his family hostage or can like hurt that. his family or something. Yeah, 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 I remember being, like – floored when it happened. <laughs> Barry's a family you, man. You turn that corner, like it's literally the last place you're going in the entire game. You turn the corner and boom, there's Wesker like uh, 
Sorry, I'm betraying you now. That was a Sixth Sense-style twist yeah. for the uh, for <laughs> 1996. Uh, okay, let's talk about the localization. Of course, we're going to bring up all of the iconic lines. I'm sorry. I mean, it's played out. I think these were like the first internet jokes about video <laughs> games. But uh, these were things my friends – my friends and I love this game, but we, we would make fun of the voice acting. Mm-hmm. And um, the worst I can say about it is like they did try, but these are Japanese people directing uh, actors. Yeah. And not in their own language, and these actors are probably saying things without knowing the context, mm-hmm. so we get some hilarious lines. Um, the thing I will say about the localization, though, is that it's incredibly literal. Mm-hmm. That is where we get lines like, you, the master of unlocking. And I think even survival horror is a clumsy, literal translation of an expression that does not really exist in, a, in English. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like that is just them trying to move a Japanese mm-hmm. expression into English clumsily. Japanese game creators love to create their own genres they do, for yeah. their games. Or things like, you know, how every Tales of game has its own distinct battle system. Active time. <laughs> Linear motion battle, surplus, charge. Yeah. Alpha 2. Yeah, so uh, localization, very, very, um, very literal. Uh, acting, uh, not great. Uh, actually, probably some of the worst in a game of this quality, mm-hmm. I think, that we would hear. And... Uh, there was this weird – I don't know if Capcom ever said this, but uh, I, I've heard people make the excuse like, no, no, it's, it's supposed to be bad because yeah. it's like a goofy horror game. But it's like I think they want they didn't want you to be laughing at these lines. I'm pretty sure that they – when they were hearing these lines in English, they were like, oh, that's convincing. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't think that they knew these were going to be funny lines. I mean – Yeah, I mean – I, I can listen to a Japanese script and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. The tone's very convincing, but I have no idea if it makes yeah, any yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. For all I know, all the voice acting in anime, in anime is bad, and it probably is. But uh, So, and again, we have the controls, which I, I did hear a similar argument to um, – that they're supposed to be bad. Uh, I feel like you could not have made this game control any better in 1996 with a digital yeah. gamepad. I can't imagine another way to do this uh, that would make sense with switching camera angles. So just sorry to, to pedal oh, back no, go, to, the, go uh, to the localization thing. You mentioned that was one of the first internet memes. Um, are you familiar with a video or I guess audio uh, file called Resident Gigolo? Yes. So <laughs> that was – I remember when that made the rounds. That showed up on IGN and it's just mm-hmm. like they, they took a bunch of voice clips from the game and put them together in ways that makes it kind of sound like two of the characters are having sex. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. It's like here, uh, use apparently, this. Apparently yeah. uh, I found out after the fact, fact <laughs> that that was created by the dudes who worked at the Babbage's that I always went to. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Abilene, in Abilene, Texas. Wow. Um, they were like, oh, yeah, that was us. When I was thinking of it being the first meme, not really, but, you know, one of the earlier ones, I never, I totally forgot about no, Resident Evil. No, it was. Gigolo. I mean, that was like 1996, yeah. 97. That was a really <laughs> yeah. early, like, there was barely an internet at yeah. that point. Yeah, I will not embed it in this uh, audio <laughs> file just because we try to be, it's uh, just, it's yeah. just for the voice kids. acting from the game. Yeah. Come yeah. on. But, but it's it really, all right there. It, it does give new meaning to, like, phrases like, Chris is our old partner. Yeah. And you'll sing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and here, take this. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, so, yeah. Again, the controls, um, I don't think – I mean the, the criticism I will give this series is that they held on to them for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not necessary and I go back and I play the remakes with better controls and I feel like, oh, this is fine. Like I, this is, does not ruin the experience for me. But again, I feel like they could not have done a better job in 96 with the yeah. camera angles because you need to have a consistent forward button. I mean – it is like controlling a radio-controlled car, but I can't imagine it being better. What do you guys think about that? Um, I recently played a couple hours of the Resident Evil remake on Xbox One PS4, and they do have that option of you can just literally go in the direction that you're pushing 
But it and but the problem is, is that it gets discombobulating sometimes when you switch camera angles. Where I, if you I agree were with still that, using yeah. the, the tank controls, you would know like I'm still holding forward. I'm going to keep going ho- forward. I I don't know. I don't I don't buy that. I've played games where um, you know camera angles shift, and as long as you're holding in a set direction, yeah, there is you that. keep moving in the same direction within like absolute direction within yeah. the game that you were. It's only when you let go of the controls then you reorient, mm. and I think that works fine. Hmm. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the way you control. Like, I, I would be okay with you know the the camera angles and the the fixed controls, but the the s- slow way in which you swivel and turn yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> to me that really kind of breaks. Th- that, that's one of my big problems with the game is I feel like you know it's great to try to create tension and to create like a sense of wow I'm overwhelmed, but don't do it by like making completely ridiculous controls yeah. that have no yeah. basis in real life. Like, if a zombie were creeping up behind me, I would not kind of wheel around slowly to <laughs> yeah. face it. But what if you're really scared? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, it should be hard to, do- to dodge zombies. It should not be hard to, like, run down a hallway, you yeah. know? Like, I do see that, but... You shouldn't uh, have to stop in place to, d- to shoot a gun or yeah. swipe a knife every time. That, w- that would not change for a while. We wouldn't get the quick turn until yeah. 3... Uh, but yeah, it's funny that the DualShock uh, versions of these games fix nothing. It's like you can have tank controls with analog sticks. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for selling me on that feature. It was a total lie. Uh, so yeah, um, again, uh, more conventions uh, borrowed from other games that came before. We have door animations, which again were two mask loading times, uh, but they were very effective in getting you to brace yourself for whatever you would see next. Um, we have item boxes, which were friendly, and they let you uh, drop off items, and you could. They had like a magical tube system between them, and you could mm-hmm. pick up items you dropped off somewhere else. And we have the ever-present herbs and herb uh, combining, which have been like a staple of Resident Evil. That's how you gain health. And um, and again, Resident Evil uh, at this point established the the elaborate networks of locks and emblems and cranks. And <laughs> they, they try to justify them within the fiction. And it, it sometimes works. It makes sense in Resident Evil 1 because you are yeah. in a, a mansion – Presumably owned by a crazy, crazy corporation person, yeah. and in person and whatever, but then you go to two where there's. I mean, start to jump ahead, but like, why is there a tiger with <laughs> gems in his eyes in a police station? I will tell you, Dave. They thought about this, and apparently that police station used to be a museum. Oh. And also, Chief Irons is crazy. Okay, so he set all that up. It doesn't it doesn't really work that well, but they at least yeah. tried to justify it in some way. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it is it is ridiculous, and these things would eventually get out of the series when you could just <laughs> kick open doors and That's stuff, true. and it became an action game. Uh, so what else? There's no UI, which I find a very interesting choice in a game from 1996. Um, I think it helps sell the horde and not have, like, meters on the mm. screen or, like, items or inventory things. I mean, uh, there's a health meter on the menu screen, but you really look at your health by judging your character's body language. I think there are, like, two states, uh, maybe three states, uh, not damage, a little damage, and, like, about to die. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a really interesting way, a uh, very minimalist way to communicate information to the player, but maybe not enough just to keep them in the dark. Like, you don't know... Um, how much ammo you have in your gun, yeah. for instance. And um, you can always, like, uh, the funny thing about Resident Evil is you can cheese it and be like, I'm out of bullets. I'm going to go to the menu, load my gun in the menu, and jump back. It's like you can freeze time to load your gun, but not yeah. to do anything else in the game, which I'm, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about that. Um, one thing I will complain about, though, is um, on an on a episode we just recorded today, we were talking about how uh, oftentimes uh, Japanese developers would make games harder for Americans because of the now defunct rental market. They did not want um, people to rent the games and return them, uh, rent the games and play through it and then be done with it. 
And I feel like finding out what they changed about this game makes me mad because I would have had a much better time uh, with it if they had not removed these things. So what did they remove from the Japanese version? Auto-aim. They removed uh, auto-aim. So, are you um, kidding me? I'm not kidding wow. you. That seems so <laughs> important because if you can't see an enemy in the later game, you can just pull out your gun and your character will like move the gun towards the enemy. So you know, okay, there's something coming towards me. In the American version, the English language version, that does not happen. Um, what else had they changed? Well... They also eliminated uh, some save ribbons, so uh, there are fewer saves mm. in the game. They made this game a real bastard, I'll tell you what. Yeah. And um, you can also uh, take more hits in the Japanese version. Enemies have less health. You do more damage to them overall. And they were going to do this. Thank God they didn't. But they were going to make it so item boxes weren't interconnected. They really wanted to wow. make this game intolerable for uh, American players, but I'm glad they at least held back a little bit. I do want to play the Japanese version because I find the – even when I play as Joe in the American version these days, it's too hard for me. I'm a baby. I'm spoiled. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Dave, uh, what do you feel about the difficulty Resident Evil? Uh, I played a bit of it recently, and I, I'm like, wow, this is way harder than I remember. I'm so spoiled. Yeah, I mean, the, just playing the the remake for Xbox One, I expected they like would have made certain things easier, and they probably have, but it's still not that easy. Uh, I mean, you still have to be very, you know, judicious and and think through almost every enemy you're facing. That's true, and it, it is and what really... items you're picking up. It's it's just like it. There's a lot of like weird strategy you have to think of. Like, do I need this thing right now? Do I know where it goes? Because right. otherwise, I've one I've like one of my inventory slots is used by it. It's really just keeping track of a bunch of different economies, like your yeah. health, your bullets, um, items, things like that. It's like, do I want to kill this enemy in this hallway, yeah. or can I can I run by him every time? Because even just yeah. getting hit once can be a total pain. That could just be one herb that you would need later. Yeah. So it it's always about measuring these economies in the game. Um, and as I said before, uh, Mikami always likes to put a big surprise in his game. And this one, I think it was when you return to the mansion. You're going to be like, oh, this will be easy. I killed most of the zombies. No, sorry. There are these things, these giant swamp thing creatures called hunters that can decapitate you in one hit. So that is like – I feel like one big surprise is always part of Mikami's bag of tricks and that was it. Like – you can you can you you would be confident leaving the mansion like I know where I'm going I've killed these zombies in the important pathways but no you come back and the first thing you see is this full motion video of uh, the character's point of view like stalking down the hallway coming yeah. right towards you so that is his big surprise um, I mean there's also the the iconic surprise of the dogs jumping through the windows that's right yes yeah. uh, defenestration yeah. is another one of uh, <laughs> sorry if something is being thrown into that that could be refenestration right if something's <laughs> going through a window into a place instead of out of a place. <laughs> Maybe they're just being fenestrated. I don't know. But listen, I, I can't I can't figure these things out. The liquors are also weird in that like they're the I think they're the first things you run into in Resident Evil that that you can't explain as being like something infected with a virus. Like there's humans infected with the T virus, there are the zombies, there's dogs, those are the cerebrus or whatever they're called. Then even like the big plants, you can be like, whatever, maybe they had a big plant. In <laughs> Everybody's this, getting yeah. this virus, yeah. Yeah. But like what the, now there's these giant lizard creatures? Yeah, and uh, I think like I, there has to be some explanation. They always try to justify something. Yeah. With the, I'm sure your Resident Evil lore masters can let us know, <laughs> but um, there's always some enemies that don't really make a lot of sense just for the sake of variety. And um, this game has the most endings of any Resident Evil. I feel it's a very Japanese way of uh, rewarding players where there are these, these different hierarchies of endings. So your ending depends on A, which character you choose, um, B, if you save their partner, uh, C, if you save the character who you didn't choose who's being abdu- who is being held in the basement or something like that. And the final one is if you blow up the mansion. So there, there are all these variations on this on these different endings that you yeah. can get. And I believe there are different rewards for getting the best ones. Am I right? Yeah. I can't remember if this was – if RE1 or RE2 started it. But 
before this, I had not played a game that like gave me a rating at the end. That's right. Yeah, yeah, like an S rank or an A yeah. rank or whatever. Yeah. So like my first time, I used ink ribbons all the time. I used F eight sprays all the time, and just got the worst ranking. And all right, well, I'm gonna play it again anyway yeah. to, to save this new person. So let me try. And um, Resident Evil 1 is the most like an adventure game this series would ever get. I find the puzzles can be as awful as uh, your classic adventure game puzzles, yeah. um, including some where it's like, where do I find this emblem? Oh, I have to go into the inventory, rotate the book, and then mm-hmm. click the button and the book will open. You never have to do that. The yeah. game never tells you you can do that, but you actually have to go into your inventory and like like tear through things and look <laughs> at them and from different angles in order to get items to solve puzzles. This game really takes the spirit of those those mean adventure games and applies it into a more like action context. Yeah. Not not quite the action we'd see in the next game, but still uh, a little bit of action. And um, I guess we could talk about remake. Uh, that's capital R E and then make mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the great 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 remake that came out for. Um, GameCube in 2002, and last year was released for everything. Uh, Definitely, I think, the best way to play this game. Would you agree, Dave? I don't know if you have any experience with this, Jeremy. Remake, the Resident Evil remake. Not really. Yeah, I've never never finished the remake. I mean, it's harder in a way that, like, the zombies at a certain point, they get stronger, and you yeah. have to douse them with fire before you can you do get rid have of them. The infamous crimson head. So any enemy, yeah. any zombie that you don't burn mm-hmm. uh, after killing them, they come back stronger and meaner. And that is one of the big surprises in the game. Like yeah. that is not revealed. I mean, everybody knows it now, but that yeah. would not be revealed until like maybe a fourth of the way through the game with a cutscene. Then you're like, oh shit, what happens yeah. next? Um, but I. I Apparently, this remake did not sell well. They were going to do more, and they are currently working on a remake of Part 2, which I don't think is going to look anything or play anything like Part 2. But I feel like this remake is made for people who experienced the first game because it is made to screw you over mm-hmm. if you if you remember the first game. You're like, oh, I'll just go here, and there'll be something completely different. Like, it, it stands up on its own, definitely. I think it is, like, the most... Um, definitive expression of Resident Evil in, in its tough-as-nails adventure gamey format, and they add a lot of new content, like this new character, Lisa Trevor, who's like this elephant man kind of creature mm-hmm. who kind of stalks you and has her own sad story. Um, I will recommend it. It's still too hard for me, but <laughs> I do feel like it is like the definitive Resident Evil experience, and we also have the non-definitive Resident Evil experience, which is the Game Boy Color version, <laughs> which actually exists, and you can play it, and wow. it was re-released, um, sorry, it was leaked a few years ago, Dear God, the best thing I can say is that it's functional. Have you guys seen this in action? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Dave, have you seen this? But I've seen video. I didn't. I know of... Didn't it come out on Game.com? Like that little black and white That was something else, though. That was Resident Evil 2, and I have not seen that yet. But uh, this Game Boy Color version was a complete... Port, I guess you can call it, of Resident Evil for the Game Boy Color. I mean, they did some magic things on Game Boy Color. Dragon's Lair is on Game Boy Color, which is bizarre <laughs> to me. But um, yeah, like if you look at it, uh, it looks like it plays exactly like Resident Evil should, but through like a weird Game Boy Color filter. Obviously, nothing's in 3D. And um, Capcom kind of was like, this is embarrassing. Let's not <laughs> release this. And they were going to release it around 2000. So instead of that, we got Resident Evil Gaiden, which we won't talk about. That's uh, Resident Evil on a Boat. <laughs> And uh, I do want to talk about the director's cut, which kind of was released to um, give RE2 some more development time, which it needed. We'll talk about that soon. Uh, Unfortunately, the director's cut 
did not uh, restore the censorship, uh, the cutscenes rather. It did add in a range of mode that I mm-hmm. feel was very much like a Master Quest version of Resident Evil with new costumes, new item placements, stuff like that. I love seeing that in games, but right. unfortunately you couldn't see the rad, fo- the rad footage of Chris smoking a cigarette. <laughs> you couldn't see uh, in the beginning they find one of their companions. Zombie, yeah. uh, you, they, they lift up a hand that's still attached to a gun. I think I believe it cuts just as soon as you get to the fingers in the American yeah. version. So that, that first scene where you see a zombie chewing on mm. your part, on one of your partners. The head rolls away. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, um, but I mean, the big draw for me for the director's cut was that that came with a demo disc for Resident Evil Two. Oh yeah, and I played that a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, I I got so much life out of that. It's not even funny. But that, I guess like, that, that's kind of what you did with demo discs yeah. back then. You just would play the living crap out of yeah. it. Because what else would you do? And then I think the director's cut also had its own sort of director's cut because then there was a DualShock version. Yeah, I should say there are so many versions <laughs> of this game. There yeah. is like. No, no. Actually, I don't think they released this for GameCube because there's like a weird like they released RE2 and 3 for GameCube and then they released those versions for the Wii. Mm -hmm. And they're not remakes. They're just like, here's the PlayStation game. It runs on your thing for some reason. So, yeah. everybody and thanks again for listening to this episode of retronauts it's a bit of a weird one for me because i was incredibly sick during this entire recording weekend and one of our guests dropped out at the last minute but i think i made the best of a bad situation and if i'm more mumbly and stumbly than i usually am you know the reason why there's a good one this time So these midway point commercial breaks are going to become a regular part of the episodes I produce at least because I find they work incredibly well. We were just at the Midwest Gaming Classic not too long ago and a few people came up to me and they told me that they wouldn't have known about our Master System panel if not for the commercial I threw into the Pokemon episode. And if you made it all the way out to Milwaukee to see us, thanks so much for coming. It was a great panel and it was great to just hang out with so many Retronauts fans at the end of the night. Uh, It's been a while since I've been around so many fans of our podcast. There's a 99% chance we'll be heading to Portland again in the fall, but we'll be sure to let you know when we know. And as always, I'd like to remind you that this podcast and all of our episodes are brought to you by our great Patreon donators. For just $2 a month, you can get episodes up to a week ahead of time. And if you want to donate more, there are some nice physical rewards as well. I've noticed a whole bunch of extra donations come in, and that's great. And if you would like to donate more, we'd really appreciate it because our tax bill this year was pretty hefty. We're talking five figures hefty. Uh, The amount we're making may seem like a lot for just a podcast split between two people, but I'll tell you what, the government takes a whole lot of that. And if you can't donate, consider writing us a review in the iTunes Music Store. It may seem trivial, but every review you write, every positive review you write, that is, increases our ranking and makes us visible to more people. We've been making it into the top five video game podcasts recently, and I'm so super excited and happy about that because I feel we have such a small, uh, you know, niche subject. So it's great to know that more people are listening and more people are enjoying the show. So one last thing, and it's not begging for money or reviews or asking you to buy things from us. It's something I'm going to be doing for you. This May, I'm kicking off an ongoing weekly live stream of the Super Famicom game Marvelous Another Treasure Island. 
And if you're thinking, I have no idea what the hell that is, well, let me tell you. Marvelous Another Treasure Island is Igeo Numa's first game as director. Aonuma has been The Legend of Zelda's head honcho for basically the past 17 or 18 years, and Marvelous is a fun little Zelda-style Super Famicom game that really shows off his talents outside of the Zelda series. Anyhow, I'll be streaming Marvelous weekly on Twitch, and I'll be archiving those streams on our YouTube channel, so please make sure you're subscribed to both our Twitch and our YouTube channels to watch these videos as they come out. And if you'd like to know when to watch the streams live, well, I'll be letting you know via our Facebook and our Twitter pages, so please follow those. It's not hard. Just click a thing and you're there. Anyhow, thanks so much for sitting through this commercial break. I'll let you get back to our Resident Evil episode. Please enjoy, everybody. And I want to talk about a Resident Evil game that was never officially released. Uh, it's unofficially called Resident Evil 1.5, but it was supposed to be Resident Evil 2. And that, there's a very interesting story behind this in that the game got a second chance. Uh, we're not talking about Resident Evil 4 today, but Resident Evil 4, I believe, got four chances. And, like, every iteration yeah. of that became a different game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first iteration of Resident Evil 1.5 – sorry, Resident Evil 2 – again called 1.5, was planned for release in March of 97, just one year after RE1. And it was led by Hideki Kamiya, who we all know as the creator of Devil May Cry, and, uh, you know, he does his own thing at Platinum now. But the developers weren't happy with the results and were somehow allowed to start over from scratch. Like, um, I believe the game was 70% complete, uh, and they, the, the programmers, the team just went to the executives and said, we cannot release this game. Um, we don't like it. Uh, Shinji Mikami hates it, and it will look, make the series look bad. Um, and the funny thing is, and Dave was just talking about this before we started recording, press moved so slowly at the time mm-hmm. that this version of the game was previewed everywhere. Yeah. And I don't know if the news ever came that this version was canceled, but I don't remember being surprised by Resident Evil 2 having none of this. Um, do you remember this at all, Dave? Yeah. Um, this also just it reminds me of something with Resident Evil 1. Like this series, they they would show you early versions and then completely change things. Mm. Like I remember strategy guides being printed in like Game Players Magazine for Resident Evil 1 that when the game came out the solutions were totally different oh man <laughs> and uh, um, were, they, were they based on the import version no I guess could, I guess they I came out around the same yeah, time so. I, don't, I don't know what it was exactly but yeah like the I remember the hall with the paintings and the ravens had go, a completely different uh, solution so I ended up dying in that room yeah it's possible they were just working yeah. with an older build uh, yeah and the major differences in this version um, it, it looks very different than Resident Evil 2 that we know the police station is much more modern mm-hmm. with a very bluish tinge to all the lighting um, there's no umbrella apparently they were supposed to have been shut down after the first game and uh, the motorcyclist named Elza Walker yeah. uh, was meant to be the main uh, one of the main characters uh, who was turned into Claire Redfield yeah. who we know is who is the true uh, female character in Resident Evil 2. Um, yeah. 
In this game, the two characters' paths don't cross, as they do in Resident Evil 2. Uh, the game was meant to have lower polygon zombies in order to have more enemies on the screen. And one of the things I remember most from previews, which I was excited about, was the character's clothing was supposed to reflect actual damage. So if you shot a zombie and got blood on you, your character would have blood on their clothing. Or if they were attacked, their clothing could rip. I, I assume they're not going to be down to their underwear. That would be weird. <laughs> but uh, we, we finally got that, that dream realized with a third birthday. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't that a Akiba strip game mm-hmm. similar? Yeah, like you're taking No, I mean, off. you were literally <laughs> just like stripping uh, people. Yeah, so... But in Parasite Eve 3, uh, your clothes fall off. <laughs> Hopefully, also, uh, there was a way that you could uh, make your character gradually lose clothes. Which game? In which game? Illbleed. Oh, Illbleed, yeah. Cast. I think you just would have to get, like, a better ending or something I think like so. that. Yeah. It, was, it was a very yeah. convoluted way, but you could make it happen. I had no idea. The more I hear about the third birthday, the more it sounds like a Benny Hill sketch <laughs> to me. I don't, I don't know if that's what they're going for. Oh, yeah, and... Um, so each character in this Resident Evil 1.5 had their own partner, as with the first game. So Leon had Marvin, uh, the cop who dies, um, who appears to be based on Will Smith if you look at him in the game. Um, he was not supposed to die originally. And Ada had John, who became the kendo gun shop owner you meet in the beginning, who also dies. So the two partner <laughs> characters were turned into two characters who were not long for this world. And uh, the fun, awesome thing is uh, this game was leaked in 2013. I have no idea how uh, this version was leaked. I'm guessing that uh, some journalist had a build that was sent to them. I mean, that's how they previewed these games outside of stealing them from Famitsu. Um, I'm guessing somebody had a build of it and they just held on to it and they found it. But um, the funny thing is, and I have not read an update on this in a year, they've been trying to hack the game into a playable state. Uh, They've been adding content to it based on like extremely fuzzy photos from magazines 20 years ago. And it looks, um, I mean, it looks like, uh, they've done a really good job. I don't know how playable it is, but you can play a lot of this version of the game that did not come out. Hmm, and wow. it's, it, at the very least, it's worth checking out on YouTube. You can see this game in action that was never meant to be seen. And I find it amazing that both this and the Game Boy Color uh, uh, port of one made it out to the public. Hmm. Uh, just because they're these strange artifacts never meant for us to see, but they exist in some form. And again, Resident Evil 2 in this form was around 70% complete. And I imagine that means there's a whole lot of the game you can potentially play. So if you want to check this game out, uh, I'm sure there are ways to find it. I, I'm not being coy. I actually don't know how to find this version of the game, but it's called Google, people. That's why it exists. So let's move on to Resident Evil 2, the big daddy of the series, at least in this traditional form, uh, released in uh, January of 98 in uh, U.S. and Japan. I believe Japan, again, one week later than us. Wow. And uh, Kamiya moved on from being a system planner, whatever that means, to a director. So he directed this and... Um, the funny thing about Kamiya is he does not like horror. He likes action movies. And this is not my comparison, I believe. Maybe Mark McDonald said it or uh, somebody like that. But um, Resident Evil 1 is alien and Resident Evil 2 is aliens. Like mm-hmm. there is still an element of horror, but it's really about like more about action, a much faster pace, less dread, less suspense, uh, just like kind of more action based. And um, yeah, I mean, do you guys do you guys go with that kind of comparison? Maybe is that opening, a little too simple? Even from the opening cutscene, like instead of – you know, running into a mansion, it's like all, all this crazy stuff happening outside in Raccoon City, like the car crash and explosions and stuff like that. There are a lot more explosions yeah. in this game uh, from the get-go. I think like in Resident Evil 1, the only explosion is if you explode the mansion. Yeah. But this game starts with explosions. And um, it also starts with two new playable characters. We have Leon Kennedy, very much modeled after Leo DiCaprio. I mean, uh, this was the era of uh, DiCaprio's reign yep. over cinema with uh, the Romeo and Juliet uh 
Romeo and Juliet uh, remake, if you want to call it that, and the uh, Romeo of course plus Juliet. Romeo plus oh, I'm, of course that one's actually called the Romake. The Rome. Okay. <laughs> wow. I, I almost believed you for a second. And um, what else? Oh Titanic, yeah, Titanic. Yeah. Duh. I mean, like, I do want to write an article about this, but Titanic had the biggest effect on Japanese games for a long time. It was the highest grossing movie of all time in Japan until Spirited Away, and now I'm sure it's some Dragon Ball yeah. Z crap. I mean, but they, they really honed in on Leo with uh, was it um, Steve? Yes, right? Steve, Steve, yeah, Steve. Yeah, um, Code Veronica. Code Veronica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is even yeah. more DiCaprio esque. And we also have Claire Redfield, who we mentioned before, who's basically looking for her brother Chris. I find it's an interesting. Um, with with Leon, it's an interesting reversal of the of the stereotype where it's like usually a cop's last day on the job is when they almost get killed. This is his first day on the job. Yeah. Like what a first day he's having. It's the I'm not even supposed to be here today kind of thing. But um, and again, I'm too young for this shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm too young for this shit. That's a good excuse. Um, what's funny is that they had to. Okay, this game sucks. Let's re, let's start from scratch. Let's do the most ambitious thing ever across two discs. The the series would never be this ambitious again. We have again a funny name system, the zapping system. Why is it called the zapping system? I don't know, but it's very interesting in that you choose which character you play, and then when you finish the game, you play the through it again from the other character's perspective, different puzzles, different enemy encounters, and so on. And apparently, this idea was taken from the movie Back to the Future Part Two. Um, that's what inspired Kamiya to come up with this idea. Mikami hated it. And I believe Mikami eventually had to distance himself from the project to become less angry about it. But uh, this was all Kamiya's stuff. Um, what did you so think? So Resident about- Evil pissed off Okamoto. Resident mm. Evil Two pissed <laughs> off uh, Mikami. Yes. I don't know if, if Resident I- Evil Three. How does Kamiya feel about that? Uh, he was probably too busy being a badass, to be honest. But uh, he, he just blocked Resident Evil Three. He's just like blocked. Yeah, he blocked it from his uh, whatever was Twitter at the time. His. Uh, <laughs> GeoCities account? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the, what's interesting is there are potentially four different variants on the same experience. Uh, we have uh, – so if you start the game with Leon, you play as Claire on the second round through. But if you start the game as Claire, that version of the game is different than starting as Leon, if that makes sense. So essentially we have four scenarios, Leon A and B and Claire A and B. And um, the B scenario is sort of like a Master's Quest-y kind of thing in which uh, there is a new danger, which is this guy named Mr. X who uh, kind of inspired the nemesis from the next game. Uh, and Mr. X will just appear in a room, and uh, he's very hard to kill. I believe he drops items when you kill him, but basically he just kind of shows up and you run from him. So it's, it's kind of like playing through the game uh, on a, on a, like with, with something more difficult happening and uh, like higher stakes, I think. Um, do you remember playing through uh, the B scenario at all, Dave? I don't think yeah. I ever made it through any of the B scenarios because Mr. I, X just trashed me. Yeah, I did, um, and like I also thought it was neat – I believe that the zapping system also had effects where if you took an item in one scenario, it wouldn't be there in the other. Right, that's could, right. Like, you could make things easier sometimes by moving things around. It, it, it was, I, it's kind of tough to remember because you are essentially playing the same game four times, but yeah. with tweaks like a, a new character here, new enemy here, uh, like slightly different items here and there. Which I guess they probably also, you know, that's probably slight influence from the director's cut. Uh, yeah, but yeah, because the range it, mode because it would change endings and it was the way to unlock the additional characters. I yeah, I kept playing, and it, I mean, it, for that reason, it's still my favorite in the series. It's mine too, at least in this older version of Resident Evil, and. Um it's not a completely perfect, contiguous world. I yeah. mean, uh, enemies you kill with one character will still be there for the other. I mean, it's not perfect, but it is interesting to see this story from two different points of view and with this added challenge at the end. I do want to eventually go back and do that B scenario. I, I have the game on PS and I need to do it. Um, but there are some uh, differences. Uh, this one... Uh, 
differences from one to two. Uh, in RE2, it's not so much about one central location. Uh, the police station acts as a hub, but um, you kind of they kind of like to shuttle you around to different environments to keep the variety up, I think, like uh, little kind of mini dungeons in this game. And uh, I find the puzzles in this game are extremely simple. Like, yeah. uh, you got the manhole opener. Use it in the manhole. Or you, f- you found the red key. Uh, you open the red door with it. It's not, it's not the same, like, go into the menu, turn the book around, open the book, and do all this other stuff. It's like they really just dial back on the puzzles, way, way back on the puzzles, which I appreciate. Um, they weren't great in RE1. They were interesting and probably okay for the time. And, and in general, I think this game is a lot easier. I don't know if you guys agree with me. Um in terms of enemies and in terms of what they gave you, it's still hard for me today to play, but I, I found it much more approachable, and I actually finished this uh, game. I don't think I ever finished one at the time. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you guys uh, find this to be easier than RE1? I mean, it feels like they were, even in interviews at the time, they were worried about this series being uh, intimidating for people, and so they wanted to make it more welcoming, but while still retaining that atmosphere. Uh, I just found RE2 to be a lot more easy, but still have that kind of friction that's necessary. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, th- I didn't really think a bit of it being easier but now that I'm thinking back like it, it is because I remember there's also this this uh, secret where if you make it all the way to from like the explosion at the beginning to the police station that's right yeah if you make it all the way there then you get to fight a zombie version of Brad who's the helicopter guy in, in the first one uh, and I think you get like a new outfit when you get there. So it was just like I remember eventually playing the game so much that I was like, all right, now this time I'm going to go on the – like you take no items and I think take no damage right. in that first run. So you have to like be really judicious with like the few bullets you have. And that, that and zombie takes like 20 yeah. bullets I think to kill. Like, yeah, 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 it's tough. But uh, yeah, there's there's neat stuff like that in the game. And uh, this time around, there is uh, professional voice acting. Uh, this is a time <laughs> period for Capcom where everything was very Canadian. So the, some of the first spoken dialogue you hear is "sorry about that." <laughs> so if you weren't sure this was a game in Canada, they didn't. I don't think they said a game yet uh, in, in that first scene. But they kind of worked in all the Canadianisms right in the beginning, at least in, with the Canadian accent, in case you weren't aware of and, that. And Claire, who would debut in this, I think she was. An actress on like a PBS show, like Big Comfy Couch. Yeah, she also called? played Lydia on the Beetlejuice cartoon. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I, I did recognize her voice from that. And yeah, she was a, she wasn't a lot of kids shows at the time, so she she knew how to voice act. And See, she I would have known that if uh, Leon had called her babes. <laughs> That's true, man. That, that should be a cheat code. Uh, <laughs> so the plot in this uh, and in three actually are just really about escape, like mm-hmm. get out, get out of the city. I mean. This game does flesh out uh, the roots of the virus, uh, where it came from, uh, like in any good action movie, uh, how the cops are in league with the evil corporation, you know, like we own the police kid, that kind of thing. But it's a very simple plot. I, I find the atmosphere is, is more important than the story they're trying to tell because, again, the Resident Evil timeline is worse than the Zelda timeline, I think. Like nothing lines up and they, and they meant to have things line up, but nothing really lines up. You shouldn't think too hard about it. And uh, with this game, we also have the introduction of characters like Tofu and Hunk, which would uh, appear uh, again and again throughout the series. Uh, Tofu, I believe, was um, – I think he was a special character you unlocked yes. after beating the uh, the Hunk mode. Is that true? I think you had to get like an S rank on Hunk mode. Something like that. Yeah. You had, yeah. Well, you had to get like an S rank in the game itself first and then you unlocked one of them and then you unlocked the other. And But Hunk is the – or no, Tofu is the most difficult one. Yeah. Which is just – he's just a big hunk of – Tofu. That's why I keep mixing them up. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, he's a big like block of tofu with just a knife. Yeah, you've got to escape the mansion with just a knife. I like that. So it's it's. it's, like, it's I've never been good enough to play it, but I like watching the tofu run. Yeah. It's just like, a hopping block of tofu, like knifing zombies. And he starts out white, and like when he gets take, takes damage, he just becomes like more red. So <laughs> it's like 
Yeah, still showing off with like you don't have to go in the menu to to figure out whether a giant piece of tofu is, is hurt. <laughs> now you know if your tofu's in pain. <laughs> yeah, I feel uh, like it's not really tofu and vegetarian if it's bleeding. Yeah, yeah there's, there's something in that I don't <laughs> want to know. And uh, it's currently being remade. Uh, there was this recent announcement. Uh, it had to happen like late last year, late 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 2015. They just said we're remaking it. I don't know what that means, but. I don't think it's going to look or play anything like this game. I think it's going to be in the mold of RE6. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I hope I'm proven wrong, uh, but I feel like Capcom is not so interested. So badass. In, uh, <laughs> maybe just bad. Uh, I think Capcom is not interested in making this kind of a game, even though they are re-releasing some of the older remakes. Yeah. Uh, pff, I don't know if you guys have any opinion on this, but I really wish they would do a proper remake. This is a very ambitious game. I think they, they could have gotten more out of the zapping system if they did not have such a rushed development schedule to get this game out in time. Because again, remember, they, they made a game. Mm-hmm. It was scrapped and then Kami is like, let's do something even crazier. And I just feel like there could be a lot more gotten out of that zapping system if they did it again. Um, any thoughts on the remake of this game? Do you have any, like, any, any secret wishes for how this will turn out? I mean, honestly, if they put the same level of detail they did into the remake for GameCube, I would be happy because mm. this is it's still my favorite of the series and I thought the Zepping well, I mean for nineteen ninety eight, Dave, like <laughs> the Zepping system was enough for me to like replay it and, yeah. and see the little tweaks in the story. Because I am a huge Back to the Future fan, so like these little things, little ripple effects happening in the various stories it worked for me. Yeah, I think they can make a lot more out of it. And one of the things that annoyed me about Six was that it was kind of a bait and switch. Like, these characters will cross paths and you'll see different sides of the story. But it was really just like, oh, we want to reuse boss fights. How do we do this? <laughs> oh, these characters will fight the boss. And then when you show up to fight it again, they'll be there. So it's just like, well, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> as an ordinary day in September, an ordinary day in Raccoon City, a city controlled by Umbrella. No one dared to oppose them, and that lack of strength would ultimately lead to their destruction. I suppose they had to suffer the consequences of their actions, but there would be no forgiveness. If only they had had the courage to fight It's true that once the wheels of justice begin to turn, nothing can stop them. Nothing. It was Raccoon City's last chance, and my last chance. My last escape. So our final game we'll be talking about is I feel like an underrated Resident Evil game, and I feel that's because we were sort of fatigued with this survival horror by 1999. And that's Resident Evil Nemesis. It was released in uh, Japan in December, sorry, September of 99 and U.S. in November. So maybe that delay is there to let us know that RE was not as hot as it was just a year before. 
So um, this game has an interesting story as like like RE2 does. Uh, the original premise was set on a luxury cruise liner. This is the first I've ever heard of this, by the way, just doing research on this. <laughs> and Hunk was the main character attempting to steal a sample of the G-Virus. That was going to be Resident Evil 3. And uh, later revelations, uh, the DS and later everything else game would take place on a ship. But apparently Sony announcing the PS2 disrupted their plans. And they had a game in the works called Resident Evil Gaiden. Uh, which was going to be taking place between 1 and 2. They just smashed teams together and they made that Resident Evil 3. Mm-hmm. So this is so confusing because there is a Resident Evil Gaiden, yeah. but that's the Game Boy Color one on a boat. <laughs> Resident Evil 3 was supposed to be on a boat, but they never made that game. And Resident <laughs> Evil 1.5, uh, it's also confusing. <laughs> but please, just please leave a comment if you don't understand this. It's just it's so confusing. I mean, Resident Evil development is just a crazy story of, of many false starts. But... um. The main, uh, the main interesting thing about this game is the nemesis character who, like Mr. X, is there to kind of break the rules of Resident Evil, follow you between rooms mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and just be this presence that you can try to attack. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Just run from him. And apparently this idea came from a, a stalking epidemic in Japan. I guess the news was paying attention to stalking. And it gave uh, Kamiya and Mikami and Capcom ideas about, like... We can like, gamify this. Yeah, gamify <laughs> stalking. And apparently, I was reading in a review, um, Kamiya had a stalker. Apparently, he had a stalker, and the, the interview asked Mikami, like, oh, that must have been scary for him. And uh, she said yes. But, and the interviewer said, oh, at least it was a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mikami's like, she wasn't very attractive. So, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, old-fashioned sexism. Uh, I might cut that part out of this episode. <laughs> but uh, so we have uh, Jill Valentine making another return, and... Um, she is inescapably a Tomb Raider reference, I yeah, think. She's like she's not dressed for the occasion. No, this is the worst uh, Resident Evil uh, outfit to wear, a tube top and a miniskirt. Yeah. And if you squint, she is Lara Croft. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. got the same – her tube top is the same color as Lara's kind of teal mm-hmm. – I guess it's slightly more blue than Lara's, but yeah. come on. We are looking at a huge... Oh, you know what? You've, you've done, you've invoked Tomb Raider, and now people are going to bitch at us about how we said Lara. Uh, Lara, Lara. Even though that's how they say it in the games. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's inconsistent in the games as well. I don't get it. Um, <sighs> get some better direction there. But uh, yeah, like again, uh, they just wanted her to look sexy. That That's their reason. Like, why is she wearing this for a zombie outbreak? Oh, we want her to look cool and sexy. So that's why she looks like the way she does. It was a different time, people. And uh, this game, I think it really satisfied our desire to explore that ruined Raccoon City where we only got a taste of it in RE2. Uh, RE3, you're spending a lot of time inside of locations, of course, but you do get to explore the ruined streets, which I think is something that um, we really wanted to do, but we never really got the chance because we were really just stuck in sewers and a police station and labs and things like that. Um, So not to go on too long about RE3, it is a really interesting game, but some of the more important uh, choices they made in this game, uh, there was a quick turn finally. So this would persist throughout all Resident Evils where I want to turn around. Instead of just slowly rotating my body like I'm in a microwave, I just hit like X and down and I spin instantly. So you have that. And you also have a dodge button. If you hit R2 at the right time, you will dodge out of an attack, which is sort of like a a weird kind of like – Shades of Devil May Cry Bayonetta kind of thing creeping into Resident Evil where it's like we want to give you a way to evade attacks because there is real there is really no way to evade attacks before this outside of just being far from the enemy. So it's it's a little more of an action-y game. Um, 
And one of the other features they added, uh, not a huge feature, but there is a branching pathway system. Nothing as ambitious as the zapping system, of course, but you have, uh, in certain scenarios, you have a limited time to choose between one of two choices. Like something will happen in the game and it'll like time will freeze and a menu will pop up and you have a certain amount of time to choose between one of those two options. Yeah. Like stay here or go there or attack Nemesis or run from Nemesis. I, I, I don't know if it really changes that much in the game, but it just it feels like a uh, like something that Telltale would do later yeah. in a much better way. It, it's kind of reminiscent of um, the the bit in Suikoden 2, which did that come before or after? I guess it was about the same time. Um, same, same year, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's a... There's a bit toward the end of the game where you're like invading the enemy castle and something happens and they like shoot an arrow or something at you and you have like a split second, this dialogue menu pops up and you can uh, tell your sister to get out of the way. And if you don't choose that in time and it's a really short window of time. I didn't realize I was in Sweden too. Yeah, then she'll die. She'll get hit by the arrow and it changes the outcome of the game. So it's like this just kind of unexpected thing, and it's really far into this mission you've you've had. You haven't had a save point in a long time, so you, if you mess it up, you really don't want to reset it. Uh, this sounds really similar to that, where it's like, surprise, here's a, here's a choice here's a to choice, make, and you yeah. better make it fast. Luckily, there's I don't think there's anything in the game like that that damns you so hard uh, yeah. to, like, losing a character forever, but... I'm I'm not entirely sure about that. When I was playing through this, uh, I don't know, maybe ten years ago for the for the second time, I feel like uh, the choices weren't that important. Maybe they just give you new areas to explore, yeah, or different I, areas. I feel like to there's explore. one or two times where like taking picking the there's there is a wrong one to pick and mm. you'll, you'll die. But uh, yeah, I mean, most of the time it is. Do you want to stay and fight the nemesis or or run away? And yeah. usually you want you want to run away. Though when I first got this game, the reason I didn't finish it until like two or three years ago is that like I would always just be like, I gotta fight the nemesis right away because I'm gonna get cool stuff for killing him and uh, high rankings and all that. But it was just a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like he's he's really just there. I mean. I think the fact that you can knock him down or yeah. knock him out is is just there to screw with your head because it's like you, he's just going to soak up so many bullets you could be using yeah. for anything else. But then you'll get you'll get like a an, an addition to your gun or oh, something. You'll get something okay, cool early. Yeah. Okay, I, I forgot I, you did get yeah. special items from that. Uh, Dave, so you played through this semi-recently. If you go to youtube.com uh, slash Retronauts 1, I think, or just search Retronauts on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I played through it last Halloween a little bit of it. Um uh, what did you think of it, playing it uh, again? I'm just curious. Like, uh, in terms of like how it stacks up to the rest of the series, again, I feel this game has a bad reputation just because of when it came out. It's literally treading water yeah. until they can get to a new generation of hardware. Like That's what this game is for. Like Get it out. Get it out before the PS2 gets out, basically. Yeah. I mean, for, uh, because I love the first two t- so much, like being stuck with one character is a little bit eh, and you don't really interact with people on the same level that you do in the first two Resident Evil games where it's like, oh, you'll meet the, you, there's like this, uh, like Russian force. I forget wh- who they are and what they're about exactly, but like none of them really return and have this like lasting impact. So it, in that way, it kind of feels like a weird outlier where you never really, I don't, I mean, someone in the comments will probably tell me otherwise, <laughs> but like I, you don't really meet anybody that you that is have true. a long-term relationship outside of Resident Evil 3. Um, and I, I do remember some of the the puzzles being really tough. Like, there's a music box one at the end of the game that just, like, mm. you have to it, like you have to play the song backwards, and I just couldn't do it. I had to, like, it was really annoying because I was, like, on public transportation trying to look it up on my phone, and it's just <laughs> like, this is... Not a good place to play Resident yeah. Evil uh, 3. Uh, I will say you're right, Dave. I don't remember. <clears throat> I don't remember any uh, real character from this game, and it takes yeah. place between one and two. So there's, there's not a lot they can do. And like the plot of this game is like, 
I, I forget what Jill is doing there, mm-hmm. but um, basically get out of the city before it's bombed. Yeah. You find out it's going to be bombed and it's all about getting out of the city. I forget who the villain is. I know one of your friends in, is like a traitor or whatever because yeah. that, that, that's expected at this point. I think it takes place both before and after. There's like a part it, where yeah. she, she uh, is poisoned or something and she's out and it's like, oh, there is the entirety of Resident Evil 2. Don't worry. You won't run into anybody you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was a, uh, a kind of a cop out. You're mm-hmm. right. Like I really wish there was more bleed over with RE2. Again, though, this game, this is not excusing it, but this game was there to tread water, there to just be something to play on the PlayStation before you forgot about that system entirely. So I think they made the most of it, uh, and I would recommend it. I feel if your – sorry, reviewers were kind of harsh about this because at the time, I think we were fatigued by the PS1. We were kind of tired of uh, survival horror, and maybe we were upset that RE3 did not do enough to change things. But um, – I don't know. I, I just feel like it is a game that does hold up. It's a little simple. It's it's not as ambitious, but I do feel that it is um, still very fun to play. And things like the quick turn, things like the dodge button do make it a lot more playable than even RE2, which I feel like is still a very playable game, even if it is a little hard uh, these days. some final questions for you guys. We talked about all of these games, uh, and I want to know uh, from your perspective, and I'll answer last, um, how well do you think they've aged, and is it possible to recommend them to people who have never played them, or are they just a they just a terrible product of the era that we had fun with because we didn't know better? I, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I'm just curious, um, do you think they're dated? Do you think people can still approach these as new players? I mean, the tank controls make them kind of uh, inaccessible to a lot of people, I would say. I only was able to go back into 3 and play through it because I had this old, like, knowledge of how it worked and knowing that, like, all right, I better be, you know, uh, I better be, you know, economic with all of the items in this game. I Like, I, I, you know, I knew these things ahead of time, whereas the game, like, even the remakes don't really tutorialize that kind of stuff to say, like, look, you got to, you have to be, you know, judicious and you have to, you have to take, like, be thinking about how many bolts you have, how many herbs you have, how many items you have. And to that extent, like, I would say, you know, play through the remake. If you really want to, like, fi- like get into these initial games, play the remake. Maybe wait for two, even though I bet that won't come out for, for a long 2018. time. 2018. Yeah. And then only if those two, like, make you so hungry for more uh, more lore than play three. Yeah, I mean, I will say that uh, you have to play these games in a way you don't play games today in which, like, oh, that was a bad run I want. I have to reload my save because I took yeah. too many hits. I, I did a stupid thing. I wasted this item. Like we are not used to that. We are used to games being like, "Oh, you died. Here's all your stuff back." Yeah. But this game is like you have to keep track of your own progress. It's possible to screw yourself into a fail state, unless you want to go through the rest oh, of the game yeah. with a knife. You know. Yeah, I think um, like Brett Elston, who worked for Capcom at a long for a while, um, 
he's talked about it on like uh, on some of the Laser Time podcasts about how with the original Resident Evil, he had just saved himself into such a bad spot where he's like right before the tyrant has used basically every bullet in the nearby vicinity, could not find a way to, to yeah. come back and, and, and kill it. And I feel like it, it, that owes a lot to its adventure game roots, and then, which adventure yeah. games were things you would start over to be like, yeah. I'm going to do these parts I know very well, and then I'm going to run up, run to that limit or run to that yeah. wall, and then maybe I'll, this time I'll get over that wall, but maybe not. Maybe I'll have to start over again. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're, they're, all these games have a lot of backtracking, a yeah. lot of like you will walk, run all the way across the map and realize – Oh, I forgot to put this ink ribbon in the uh, like. I don't have room to get this critical item because I forgot to put the ink ribbon yeah. back in the in the in the item chest, and it's just like. And you, you could it, not actually drop an item on the floor until RE zero, which is not yeah. a good game. It's not very good. Yeah. yeah. So Jeremy, does this just sound like hell to you, like torture? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. No, if you're, you know the the thing is, the idea of Resident Evil I find really intriguing. The amount of attention and care that have been invested in the games, I just don't find them enjoyable to play. Mm. Did, you, did you try? I forgot to ask you guys about our relationships with these games. I mean, did you try it at the time? Yeah, I bought both Resident Evil and 2 oh, wow. um, back when they were pretty new. You know, I got a PlayStation, and RE1 was one of the first games I bought. And I went into it with high hopes because everyone said how awesome it was. And I played maybe an hour of it, and it was just like, <laughs> What What alienated just, you? I'm just curious. Um, you know, I find like zombie horror to be incredibly uninteresting. There's a few genres that like and concepts that just are utter turnoffs for me. And Even I then, I feel like it was not as a popular, uh, it was not like, as just, saturated. Like, that mm. and wrestling and... Uh-oh. Them's <laughs> fighting words. Cowboys. There's just, <laughs> there's just these memes and genres that I'm, I can't get into. What if I told you they weren't zombies? They were infected with a virus. I know yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> But, um, um, so, so yeah, that just doesn't – I don't know. It doesn't do anything for me. Mm. And the, the, the concept, you know, the, the, the setting or whatever, the premise uh, combined with the controls and the just unforgiving design, I was just like, this isn't worth it to me. Mm. Um, so fortunately, I found the game used, so I didn't lose a ton of money on it. But, uh, you know, I heard Resident Evil 2 was much better, so I picked that up right away and got like three screens into <laughs> it and said – yeah, this is the same thing. I hate this. So, in but other words, I, I it's want not for to you. like the series. Yeah. I want to, and every game that comes out, I'm like, this is going to be the one that turns my opinion around. RE6, yeah. I tried Uh-oh. so hard to get it, like, to be positive about that, but then everything I saw and heard about it once it came out made me say, yeah, maybe I won't do that. You were right to dislike RE6. Uh, I didn't. I didn't dislike it. Like, okay, so. I, I saw like a really early version of the game and wrote a really positive preview because uh, it seemed like it was much more thoughtful and dynamic with the environments. Like Chris had all these animations where he seemed to be like kind of you know bracing himself against walls and stuff and just interacting with the environment, and it seemed really promising. But that was a hands-off demo, and then when I actually played it, I was like, oh, those are just like hand <laughs> animations, and the way they were playing it made it look a lot better than it actually is. Yeah, I mean. We can address this now. My, my last question is how do we feel about RE since it's changed uh, from part four onwards? I'd like to do a whole episode about part four. It's one of my favorite games. I feel like it is like one of the best games yeah. ever. Uh, but I feel like uh, Mikami left. Uh, basically, everyone left Capcom who was working on this series. Uh, if you look at the credits for RE4, uh, all the main guys are basically they're all platinum now. Mm. And Mikami's doing his own thing.
thing. And I feel like they kind of lost the magic with part four and five. I'm sorry, part five and six. But four was a huge change, still very controversial. We still have people saying that's not Resident Evil. Um, how do you feel about the games? As I said, four, I feel like it's like an like just a perfect just experience. Yeah. They took that idea of uh, scarcity and made it more of an illusion. Like mm-hmm. you always feel like you're on the verge of running out, but they always just give you just enough to scrape by. And I feel like there's just a healthy amount of friction, exploration, uh, building your character in certain ways, building weapons in certain ways. RE4 is just perfect. Five and six were just kind of adulterations of that. And I don't feel like it's offensive. I feel like Resident Evil needed to move on. I feel like Code Veronica and Zero were bad ideas. I feel like they didn't do anything new. In fact, they probably uh, kind of tainted the brand for a bit. Uh, Dave, what do you think about the the newer Resident Evil? Uh, Well, I've never actually really played much of five and six. Okay. Four four I love. Four is great. I play it like like, probably every two years. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I think I mean, this is a little bit hypocritical, saying you know, since I've said how much I love two, and I think that's my favorite in the series. But one and four were both like I think the biggest, uh, the most influential ones in the series, just because of how they influenced games afterwards. Like uh, there were so many survival horror games on PS One afterwards, like Overblood, and uh, that's a weird one to start out with. But <laughs> Silent Hill, oh yeah, and like all of these franchises that spawned from that, and then the just the over the shoulder style of Resident Evil Four. That started to influence a bunch of shooters at the time. Yeah, it was incredibly influential. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, do you have any opinions about, like, the new Resident Evil and how, how it appeals to you or how you feel like uh, we're losing, like, a form of expression that uh, is no longer as popular, the whole survival horror idea? Nah, I feel like Resident Evil 4 needed to happen. Mm. I feel like it was chopping away a lot of dead weight. So yeah. that's yeah. fine by me. You know, I, I feel like Resident Evil 4, if I ever really sat down and really played it, I would really like it. You should play Jeremy. But the thing is, I know my personality, and I know that I will want to, like, experience the whole series if I do that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like nothing else is going to be that good. So it's just going to be, like, this one game that I play and enjoy, and then I try to play the others, and I'm just like, what's happening <laughs> What if to I me? gave you a hacked version where the title screen said Leon Quest? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Part one of one. I, I I know too much. Oh, damn. I only actually played through three, Code Veronica and four, mm. b- before six came out because I was like, I'm going to catch up in time for this game. And then when I started seeing reviews, I'm like, you know what? I'm done. You After saved- four, I'm like, I don't need to play five. I don't need to play zero. Uh, so you didn't play six? I didn't, I didn't, yeah. Okay. I didn't play. I stopped at, at you know, Code Veronica and four. Like those two were the last that I played. Um yeah, sorry. No, good. the four is a good place to stop, and we're going to stop our episode now. Thanks so much for uh, listening to us, and I really hope RE2 is a – if it doesn't go back to the old style, I really want yeah. it to be a more thoughtful version of four instead of like how can we make this stupider? Yeah. You know, how can we make this less um, – I don't know, less well-designed. How can we I'm put a mean. boulder in there for someone to punch? <laughs> yeah, that boss fight sucks, by the way. I hate that boss so, fight. I don't know a lot about five and six, but I, I – I, I liked enough of like uh, four does keep enough of the spirit of the series where you still have to like think about your inventory system in terms of that suitcase. Yeah, yeah, and things like that, and still had to be somewhat you know judicious about what you're using and and what you're picking up and and things like that. Did five and six? Do they still have like inventory systems? No, like that or? no, they got okay. rid of all that stuff. And, um, yeah, yeah. Like, anytime I saw demos, it's just like shoot everything. Yeah, and it's like that's not what Resident Evil is about. It's about like even four. It's like shoot the knee. Do a kick, like there's think about, to think it, about yeah. how you t- kill take on these zombies. You can't just 
blow everybody away. It's, yeah, they, they did bad. dial back on the complexity of the game, yeah. the exploration, uh, like even things like upgrading your weapons is not as fun anymore. Like yeah. I really want them to go back to that. Maybe Mikami was the missing piece of the puzzle. Maybe it was one of the many guys who lost to Platinum. But here's hoping for the best Resident Evil. I like you. I think uh, Jeremy at least likes what, likes you in spirit. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> sort of, yeah. It's, it's complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated. That's your Facebook status with Resident Evil. <laughs> and uh, it seems like Dave is a fan as well. So yeah, thanks for listening to us celebrate Resident Evil. Hopefully we weren't too mean to it. I, I still think the games are uh, fun and interesting. And even if they aren't as playable today, they're interesting to watch. And uh, just a window into the world of the 90s and what we were into. So yeah. To wrap up, you can find us, uh, Retronauts, on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch.tv, and YouTube uh, as Retronauts. I mean, that's it's as easy as that. And be sure to go to our blog, Retronauts.com, for all kinds of great extra stuff. And we're part of US Gamer, so make sure you go to US Gamer every Monday, and you'll see a whole post with this uh, the new episode, and it'll tell you what songs we use. It'll tell you more information about the episode, and it'll tell you like why we chose it and some other stuff, neat links to things we talked about, videos. I always get questions like, what, what, what song did you use? And what, where's this thing I can read? Just go to the US Gamer blog post, people. It's that simple. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And also, please keep the reviews coming on the iTunes Music Store. Uh, very few of you actually do it. It does not take a whole lot of effort, and it really helps our show uh, soar past like Minecraft podcasts and the, the Division podcast. Why is there, mm-hmm. a, there's, there there's a Division podcast? Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's more important than us, apparently. So yes, please, 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 I'll review the show. Kind of sounding bitter there. I am bitter. I want to be number one, Jeremy. It's, it's okay. I'm also very intense and uh, I'm sick, so I'm losing my mind. So yes, um, Patreon. We are supported by Patreon. Uh, so please go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Uh, you can get these episodes early. You can support the show. Uh, our show is completely paid for by Patreon. We make very little money off of it and we rely on you. So just for as little as two bucks a month, you can help support our show. I'm out of breath. Dave, who are you and where can we find you? Uh, I'm at Dave Rudden on Twitter, and I uh, I write and do uh, streams and do podcasts for LaserTime, lasertimepodcast.com. There's a ton of different podcasts, a game music podcast, a uh, video game weekly podcast, a uh, pop culture podcast, LaserTime. I host the Pro Wrestling Podcast, uh, Cheap Podcast, and there's a comic book podcast, uh, Cape Crisis. I am still thinking about uh, what wrestling crossover there is. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say that, like, Leon has a suplex in Resident Evil 4. That's true. Okay, you found it. You found it. Cool. There we go. (laughs) I was waiting for that. Uh, Jeremy, where can we find you? Um, Man, I I don't nearly have as much of a spiel as as, as Dave does. (laughs) Dave's part of a network. I know, right? I used to be part of the 1UP network, but not anymore. (laughs) They killed that off. It's the Dumont uh, network of websites. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, so let's see. My job is at usgamer.net, and I have a Twitter account at GameSpite. I write about Game Boy games at GameBoy.world. The end. <laughs> And you can find me as Bob Servo on Twitter. I'd also like to thank everybody. I've been sick and stammering throughout this whole thing, so hopefully it sounds better than I think it does. And you can also find my writing on usgamer.net, somethingawful.com, and I also do the podcast Talking Simpsons with Dave. Yeah. And that comes out every week on lasertimepodcast.com. It is a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. We should be in the middle of season three by the time you hear this. It's so much fun. Why did you not call Simpsons? I think Crontendo guy would have our kneecap smashed in. So, yes, I'm afraid of him. You could take him. Yeah, maybe that could be a that could be a Patreon goal. Yeah. We could fight Crontendo guy. <laughs> Don't give us any ideas, people. Speaking of Patreon, uh, Laser Time has a Patreon, and uh, there's a re- season in review for season two uh, episode that's uh, exclusive to that. Oh yeah, we did a whole hour long wrap up of season two, yeah. talking Simpsons, all kinds of crazy stuff you never heard, including the secret short that never aired. Yeah. It's mysterious. It'll cost you five bucks to hear it though. <laughs> 
That's it, everybody. I'm Sick and Loopy. We'll see you next week with a mini episode hosted by me. Take it easy.